Welcome to The Word at First Prez. Over the spring and summer, we are doing a sermon series called Philosopher Kings. The goal of this sermon series is to examine the life philosophies of members of our congregation and how those life philosophies intersect with the Bible. Our hope is that you will find that everyone has something to teach us about life, faith, love, and our relationship with God. I hope you enjoy. And with that, let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading coming to us from Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 10. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And then he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes from Mark 9, 33 to 37. It says, Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, who was the greatest? And he sat down, and he called to the twelve, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. So, we have come to the last sermon in our sermon series called Philosopher Kings. And I've heard a lot of good feedback on this. You all have told me that you've enjoyed it. Is this true? Yeah, generally, pretty good. And don't worry, I have something really good for you in the fall that I've been working on really hard, and it involves you all again, so that's coming in September. But today, this is the last one in this series, Philosopher Kings, which is a term that comes from Plato. And he believed that the best leaders, the people who we should be following in this world, are people who have studied philosophy. Now, that's just not true of trained philosophers. That's true of ordinary, average people. Now, the fact is, is that all of you, all of you, you all have a life philosophy which you follow. Whether you've thought about that life philosophy, that is a completely different thing. And so back in January, I made a request. I said, can you please send me your life philosophies? And I expected to get a few, but I received so many, and they were of such a high quality that I was able to create an entire sermon series around them. And so what you've been hearing is that each week I've been dealing with one or more of your life philosophies, and we've been talking about how they converge with the Bible, how they diverge from the Bible, and ultimately, what I hope you've seen is that you all have a lot to teach us about life, love, faith, and our relationship with God. So today, for our last sermon, we're going to be talking about the concept of legacy. 
legacy. And there are actually four people who made contributions to this particular sermon. So we're going to start moving through those. The first comes from Marilyn and Jim Graves. They are married. Marilyn's the one who sent it to me, and she included Jim in on this, so they're, they're together with this. And Marilyn, she is the daughter of a pastor. She's a PK, pastor's kid, right? And if you know anything about pastor's kids, there's two ways they go. They're either amazing people or they're total disasters. My, my kids are kind of, we're still seeing where they're going to end up, right? So Marilyn happens to be the one who was exemplary. And her father had this wonderful saying that he used to bring up, which is that the legacy that you pass along is far more important than the legacy you inherit. Now, what does her father mean by this? What he means is you can't choose the family into which you were born, right? You can't choose whether your parents are good or bad people. You can't choose the amount of resources that your parents have. But what you can choose is how you're going to live your life as an adult. Jim, Marilyn's husband, his father had a saying as well, which is the name or your name is the only thing that you really own. So make sure your name is a good name. Now, I want to ask you all a question based on that. When you're gone, what will people think of your name? When somebody hears your name, what's going to come to mind for them? What will be your legacy? Now, I've been performing funerals for about 12 years, and I know immediately Judy will step in and be like, ah, that's nothing, nothing compared to what I've been doing. But I do know a little bit, a little bit about things from funerals. And for the last 12 years, I can tell you that there is a big difference between the people who are beloved and the people who won't be missed. And I can tell you that the difference between those two is whether or not that person invested in relationships. Now that might sound a little bit strange in the sense that we focus so much of our time on our jobs, right? Our work. But the truth is, Unless you happen to be like an Albert Einstein or Martin Luther King Jr. or Marie Curie, where you've made some type of major contribution to our society, the truth is nobody's really going to care what you did for your work. Nobody's going to care how hard you worked. Nobody's going to care how much money you made. I can tell you that when I'm sitting with a family and they're talking and reminiscing about this person consistently, the families with the most tears, all the time, are the ones who felt loved and cared for by this person. And I've been on both sides of the fence on this. I've done funerals for people who won't be missed. And that's a very interesting experience, let me tell you. Because maybe that person had an abrasive personality. Maybe they were selfish. Maybe they were uncaring. Maybe they were highly critical of the people around them. In those instances, when they're talking about that person, it's very clinical. Oh yeah, so, uh, so yeah, he was born on this date, and he grew up here, and uh, he worked this job, and he married this person, he had these children. It's just very matter of fact. No tears, no sadness, just this is who he was, and now he's gone. But when that person was selfless, kind, loving, gracious, caring. Mm. Let me tell you, 
is that person ever missed? From the moment they open their mouths, you can hear them and the grief and the sorrow in their voice. And it's devastating to listen to. It's heartbreaking. You can hear it. They'll sit there and say, she's gone. And that breaks me because she was such an integral part of my life. The idea being that there's nobody who's ever going to be able to fill those shoes. Nobody. And so when they're reflecting on this person, they want them to be there again. And they know that there's never going to be anyone who's going to be able to take it over. And honestly, that's something that they hold on to dearly for the rest of their lives. Now, to create a life like that, a life where people remember you, that's not easy to do, right? I mean, we think, oh yeah, no, it just happens. No, 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 it requires a great deal of intentionality. It requires a great deal of effort on our parts. Yes, naturally, there are some people who are very kind and giving and loving. But the truth is, most of us, we need a life philosophy. We need some kind of framework to deal with. And Marilyn, when she sent me her life philosophy, she included a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And this quote is what he thinks of a successful life. And I want to read this to you. To laugh often and much, to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics, and endure the betrayal of false friends, to appreciate beauty, to find the beauty in others, to leave the world a bit better, whether by a healthy child, a garden patch, or a redeemed social condition, to know that one life has breathed easier because you lived here, this is to have succeeded. Now I think that is a beautiful summation of a life well lived. And for Marilyn, it encapsulates the idea that her life matters and that she has a responsibility to make the world a better place. And she was very specific when she sent this to me, that she said, you know, this isn't about huge things. This isn't about moving mountains. But it's about leaving the world a little better than she found it. It's about making sure her name is associated with positivity and caring. She wants people to say when she's gone, I breathe a little bit easier because Marilyn was here. And this is kind of at the core of the Christian faith. In fact, it very much is at the core of the Christian faith. What you heard me read this morning from the gospel lesson is Jesus, he's with his disciples and he's like, hey, you guys were arguing about something back there. What were you guys talking about? And they didn't want to tell him because they were arguing about who among them was the greatest. And Jesus, he interjects and he says something fascinating. He says, whoever of you wishes to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Let's say that again. Whoever wishes to be first must be last of all and servant of all. This is so counterintuitive, is it not? <clears throat> to our way of thinking? Because in our world, the people who we often associate with success are the best at what they do. Whether you're the best salesperson, the best teacher, the best doctor, the best president of the company, the best head of staff of a church, whether you're the best athlete, the Olympics are going on right now, right? That's big. Amazing athletes, by the way. We've been doing well. Watch swimming. It's a great thing to watch, okay? 
you're the best, you're the most talented, you're the brightest, right? These are the things that we are taught to strive for by society because our society equates success with being the best. But for Jesus, this is not necessarily the case. For Jesus, it's the exact opposite. For Jesus, if you want to be a successful person, then you need to be the greatest servant. So let's define, what does it mean to be a servant? When you hear that, that has a bit of a negative connotation, does it not? But let's define it. So a servant is someone who is looking out for the needs of others. They want to put others before themselves, and they tend to the needs of others. They care for others around them intensely. Now, as with everything that Jesus talks about, and you need to know this about Jesus, this is important, he flips everything upside down. So whatever you assume to be right about the world, he's going to say, no, it's the other way around. So for him, right, the way he looks at the world is different from the way we think about it. For us, the people who we revere are the people who can afford the servants. But for Jesus, right, the way that he thinks about it is that the people who should be revered are the servants themselves. Now, I find this to be interesting, that he thinks that the servants are the ones that we should be revering, as opposed to revering the people who can afford them. And so, although we as a society, although we might admire, and although we might covet the people who we think, you know, we think, oh yeah, those are the people who we should admire. That's not the way that it is. And I know that for some of us, we would hear that. Like, what you, you're hearing what Jesus is saying, right? And he's saying, no, we need to admire the servants first and foremost. Is that the way the world works, though? I mean, is it? No, not at all. He says it. It's on a piece of paper. But is that the way that it actually is? No. So it feels like it's a bit of magical thinking, doesn't it? When he says that? But here's the thing, it's not magical thinking. Because think about what I just talked about in terms of the funeral. At the funeral, who's the people who consistently have the most tears? Who is it? It's the people who are loved, right? Who are loving, who are caring, who were, who were, you know, they weren't selfish. These are the people who we remember. And so, although as a society we admire the ones who have the most wealth and who basically are the most successful. I think when push comes to shove, that's really not who we admire most. I think in our heart of hearts, the people who we truly admire, who we want in our lives, are who put us before themselves. That's who we really want. That's who we really admire. But we don't want to admit that because it's a society, right? We hold other people up in place. But that's who we want in our lives. Now, of course, this is what we're supposed to be as Christians. You call yourself a Christian, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to put others before yourself. First and foremost, you're supposed to be a servant, are you not? So, this brings up a really interesting question. If this is what we're supposed to do and this is how we're supposed to live, then I think that's the first thing we really need to take into account when we're trying to create a legacy that people are going to remember. If you want to create a legacy that people are going to care about, you need to adopt a servant's heart. If you want to do what Emerson said, and you want to create a world where people breathe better because you were here, 
then you need to have a servant's heart. You need to be willing to serve others first and foremost. You with me? So far, so good? Okay. Now, I received another life philosophy, and this one comes from a man named Paul Palmer. Paul right there. Many of you probably know Paul. He comes to our church every so often. He is a retired pastor. He was a pastor down at Mount Prospect Community Church right down the road from here. And when he sent me his life philosophy, he sent it to me about Christianity. And I want to read to you what he had to say because you're going to see how this kind of interplays with it. He says, topics like the Trinity, virgin birth, miracles, etc. While they may have symbolic meaning, who knows any detail about their actual physical reality? Not I. Neither do I lose any sleep over being agnostic. And yet, all the while I am happily Christian. Christianity is about what we do via justice, peace, working for the common good, with Jesus as our most sublime teacher and example. Now, in reading this, I think what Paul is trying to say to us is that we can argue all day long about doctrine, right? We can sit here and we can debate about the Trinity, about whether the miracles happened, whether the virgin birth happened or didn't. But at the end of the day, the question that you have to answer is, does believing any of that change the way you live? Does that, whether you believe in the virgin birth or not, does that change your behavior? Not necessarily at all. So, for him, when he brings this up, what he's trying to say is, living the way Jesus lived, that is what leads to a good life. And it's adopting that servant's heart. So for Paul, he's really saying, look, if you're going to live like Jesus, if you're going to live according to the way that he taught and walk in his footsteps, that is a life well lived. And again, this points to the idea that leaving a legacy behind that's worthwhile is having that servant's heart. But that's only half of the equation that we're talking about today. That's only half of leaving behind a legacy that's going to matter. The other half comes from the last of our life philosophies that we're going to talk about, which is Mike Noble. Mike isn't here today, but if you all know Mike, many of you probably do, he's a very direct person. Very, very direct. He was actually, when I first applied for this job, he picked me up from the airport and drove me around town. And uh, I, when I talked to him, I was like, I like this guy. You know exactly where you stand with him. There's no like mincing words. And his philosophy is just as direct as he is. And his philosophy is very simple. Follow up and be persistent. That's what we've got. And that's the end of my sermon. Thank you all very much for being here today. So I'm going to tell you a little story that he told me about why he came to this as his life philosophy. So when Mike was 15 years old, he went to the Fairlane Mall in Dearborn, Michigan. He was applying for a job there. And he was applying at this new clothing store that was opening up. And just so we're clear, he had to actually go to the store to apply. He didn't do it online like we do it today, right? So he goes to the store, he applies, he comes home, and his father says, look, in a couple of days, I want you to call that manager back and follow up with him. And Mike thought his fa father was crazy. He was nuts. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to call him back. I gave him my application. If he wants me, he'll call me. But kicking and screaming, Mike follows up. Calls him back. And the manager is actually quite taken aback by this. And he says, okay, well, look. here. Will you meet me? At, we have another store that's open. Will you come and meet me at that store? 
So he comes over, he meets him at the store. And the manager says to him, look, we're going to hire you because out of all the applications we received, you were the only one to follow up and to actually express your interest in a more serious way. And Mike was blown away by this. He couldn't believe it. His dad had actually given him a pretty decent piece of advice. <laughs> Which I know is hard to believe, right? Like that a dad can give a good piece of advice. Anytime I open my mouth, my son's ears just close. So, you know. But one time or another, we can do it, right? We can get it going. So from that point forward, Mike has always followed up. He's done this in all aspects of his life. In his career, with his family, with his friends. He's always there. And if he feels that there can be a good connection, he's the one who's going to make sure that he always follows up with him. So let me give you an example. Uh, Mike works in the financial services industry. He is known as being extraordinarily dependable. He's there for his clients. He follows up on the most minute details. His clients love him. And when it comes to his friendships, Mike is always there. He's always out there calling his friends like he's the one who usually keeps the line of communication open which is rare today in a world where we can text and just get to people online he actually calls them up and he's like hey i want to talk to you he wants to have that direct connection with them and so as a result i think we can say that mike is a very reliable person right very very reliable he's somebody you can depend on and I think reliability is a big part of leaving behind a legacy that really matters. Now, why? Why is that the case? Well, maybe you've heard Woody Allen, what he said, 90% of life is showing up. Do you know that saying? Okay, I know that saying because my dad said that to me literally dozens of times when I was growing up. He loved that. If he gets to watch this, he will be like, yes, that is my life philosophy. So... 90% of life is showing up. What is that? Growing up, I didn't even know what that meant. But I will tell you that I have come to find that actually this is true. Most people don't show up. Most people are not there when it counts. Just as a side example on this, as a church, we are hiring people to do things all the time. And I am amazed by the number of people who send me their resume and then they don't bother coming to the interview. Like, you sent me your resume. I didn't come to you, you sent it to me, and then I offer you a time to interview and you don't do it, I will never understand it. But anyways, the point being that a lot of people are simply not reliable. They're not dependable. And you have to think about it. Like, if you can be a servant, right? You can be kind, giving, loving, selfless, but if you're not there when people need you, none of that matters. You have to be there when it counts. And that's the other part of having a legacy that truly means something. So you have two things that go with this, right? Two things. One, you have to be a servant. And then on the other hand, you have to be there. You have to be reliable. And this is also found in the scripture that we read this morning. You heard it from TC. He read to us a parable. And in the parable, there's a guy and a friend comes over to his house at the last minute and he doesn't have any food. So he goes to his neighbor and he starts knocking on the door. It's midnight. Now, just so we're clear, you understand how this works. If you did that today, right, people would like freak out, right? But at that time, a lot of people actually were up in the middle of the night 
much more so than we realize now. Like, you would be up. So he knocks on the door at midnight, which is late still, and you hear the guy from the inside. He's like, I can't help you out, man. I'm already, uh, I locked the door. I'm in bed with my children. And by the way, there was only like one or two rooms in your house. So there wasn't a whole lot that you could do, right? You slept with the kids. Everybody was together. It's not like today where there's separate bedrooms. So he says, I don't have anything for you. Go away. And what's the guy do? Does he go away? No, he just keeps knocking on the door. Until eventually the guy opens up and he's like, hey, take the bread, go, like go away. And Jesus, he says, he, the guy doesn't do it because he's his friend. The guy does it because he was so persistent. And then Jesus has this saying, and this is probably one of his most famous sayings. Ask and it will be given you for everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. In other words, be persistent follow up, and don't skirt your responsibility to be a servant. This guy in the parable, his friend comes over unexpectedly. What does he do? He's like, I'm going to be a servant to you. I'm going to be reliable. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find some food for you. I'm sorry I don't have any. And he goes out and he's persistent. He gets that food and he brings it back to his friend. Now, why does this matter? It matters because what I have seen is that it is much easier to do nothing than it is to do something, right? I mean, way easier to do nothing than it is to do something. And what I have seen again and again is that many people, when you say, hey, can you help me out? They're like the dude on the inside of that house. They're like, no, I'm not going to help you. I'm doing my own thing and I don't want to come out. And this mentality has become more and more pervasive in our society before the pandemic. And now during the pandemic, it has become much worse. You all may or may not be aware of this, but empathy, sympathy, compassion, those three things. Empathy, sympathy, compassion. Say them with me. Empathy, sympathy, compassion. I cannot teach these things to you. You cannot, th those things, as much as I can sit up here and say, be kind, love, be generous, I can, those things cannot be taught in the way that I am teaching you right now. Empathy, sympathy, compassion can only be taught through lived experience, by being in community. Why? Because when you live in a community, you come into conflict with people. You get into friction with other people. And once you're in conflict with them, you have to work through it. And that's how you learn about them. You get compassion for their point of view, empathy and sympathy for what they're going through, and vice versa with you. They have to learn about what it's like to live with you. There have been psychological studies done, many of them, where they show that the more a person is isolated from other people, their empathy, sympathy, and compassion nosedive. And so that was already happening in our society because we are so transient and we are constantly moving around and we don't have a community like we used to have, right? Everybody's kind of just moving constantly. And then the pandemic destroyed us because we were all, now we're all isolated in our homes and our empathy, sympathy, compassion just all the way down. And so this is a big reason why we're in the situation we're in in our society. Why so many people are at odds with each other. Because we haven't been together. And of course, a church, what do we rely on? People being together, right? People doing something rather than nothing. And of course, what's happening is we're in a situation where now our entire society has been flipped upside down because we don't have a community and a lot of people are saying, ah, I'll stay home. 
I don't need to do it. I'm not going to help out. And so for the last couple of years, as you've heard me talk about the future of our church, as you've heard me talk about kind of the potential that we have, the truth is a lot of that has been undercut by what's been happening around us. We're facing a very difficult situation. But I believe in being persistent. I believe that if you keep going at it and you keep doing the things, you keep knocking on the door, that eventually you'll get through. Martin Luther King Jr., when he was in the middle of the civil rights movement, do you know the people who were telling him that he shouldn't do this? I mean, white people, obviously. But there were other people within his own movement who were actually saying, hey, this isn't going to work. White people are always going to be racist. They're never going to change their mind. Why are we fighting for something that's never going to change? And he was persistent. I mean, that guy, he started in earnest in 1955. It took him until 1964 to get the Civil Rights Act signed into law. Nine years. Now, can you imagine if he had just said, you know what, guys? You're right. This is way too hard. There's no reason to do this. Hang it up. Stop the protests. Stop the marches. We're just going to go home and, hey, we'll see what happens. Hopefully things change. No, he didn't do that. He was persistent. He kept knocking at the door, and that's why we remember him. That's his legacy that he left behind because he wouldn't give up. He was there when it mattered. He showed up, right? And he was a servant first and foremost. Now, that's his legacy. The legacy I want to leave behind, the legacy that I hope people will say about me, is that he gave his whole heart, he was there when people needed him, and you know what? He loved a lot of people. And I hope that that's what people will say about me when I'm gone. I think the question is, what are people going to say about you? What's the legacy that you're going to leave behind? What are people going to say about you when you're gone? And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how people are going to remember who you are. And if it's not where you want to be, if your legacy is not where you want it to be, there's always time to change. Always. You can always make a difference in your life. Now that's where I would end this sermon today normally. But that's not where I'm going to end it. I want to end it with something else. A much larger question. And a harder one in some ways. And the question goes something like this. What do you all want the legacy of this church to be? When people hear First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, what do you want them to think? And this, this affects every single person sitting in this room right now. What do you want them to think? Do you want them to think, oh, this was a good church. I could bring my family, I could raise my kids here. Amazing music program. Great worship. Good youth program, good children's program, good mission. Do you want them to think that? Or do you want them to think, I came to First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights and it changed my life. The people there were selfless, kind, giving, and loving. They were there for me when I needed them and I breathed a little bit easier because I was part of that community. Now both of those are good legacies, aren't they? But the truth is, one is much more difficult than the other. The first one I told you, there's a lot of churches that do that. There's a lot of churches that have good worship and good programs, good music. But there's not a lot of churches where you walk in 
and people say, that changed my life. And God changed my life because of those people who I was with. To be that kind of church, you got to be all in on being a servant. To be that kind of church, you got to be all in on being there when it counts. And don't think I'm saying that you've never done that. I know the history of this church, the legacy that you all have created. Look at this building. This thing is like a city block, right? Like, it's huge. You all have done a lot to create an amazing community here. And the things that you've done to help people, the PADS program, the way you've helped the homeless, the Dominican Republic mission trip, that trip has changed more people's lives down there. You've changed entire villages because of what you did with that. You all have been there for Christopher House, working with those families. You all did the prison ministry here. You all have done things that have created an amazing legacy where you have changed lives for the better. But if we want to take it to that next level, particularly given where our society and culture is today, we have to change some things. Because if we keep going down the same road, we're not going to be in the position we want to be in. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, your leaders, the elders, the people who, com who comprise your session, for the last couple of months, they've been working very hard to come up with a plan. They've been restructuring, reorganizing, and I've been watching them do this plan. This is not my plan. This is their plan that they're doing. And I can tell you one thing about it, which is that if it's going to work, it requires you guys to be there. Because I'm looking at this thing and I'm thinking, I can't do it. Judy and TC can't do it. And those 12 people on session can't do it by themselves. It requires everyone to be a part of it. And I know there will be people, when you hear this plan, there are going to be people who say, nah, it can't be done. No point. In fact, no, I'm not going to help out. Uh, I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to do the things that I want to do rather than help do that. And that's fine. If people want to say that, good for them. But for those of you who care about this church, who want to see it reach its potential, where people who come through our doors say that their lives were changed, we need you to get involved more than being here on Sunday morning. And believe me, I appreciate that you're willing to come here and listen to me blabber for 25, 30 minutes every week. Like, I appreciate that. But what we need is for you guys to really get invested and get involved, whatever you can do. Because if we're going to become that kind of church, you got to be a servant first and foremost. you got to be there when it counts. And ultimately, if you do those two things, we will create a legacy in this community where people will know, I came to this church, I breathed easier, and my life was changed for the better. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.